Open with me, if you will, to Genesis 16. Genesis 16. Now, I'm, I'm going to read a, a story here tonight from Genesis 16, but before I do, I want to say something to the children here about what I'm going to try and talk about here tonight and, and kind of what the point of this story is. It's a very interesting story. And the basic point of this story is that God sees everything. God sees everything. And when I say that God sees everything, you're going to see as we read this story that it, just, it doesn't mean that he just notices everything. It means that he sees everything and he cares about it. He cares about things. Um, Charlie and I, <laughs> a couple of days ago, were exploring. I don't know if any of you ever go exploring. We go exploring from time to time. And we had our walkie-talkies and such out back in the woods and we took some apples and ate down by the creek and saw what we could see. Well, when we got back, we noticed that we went with two walkie-talkies and came back with one walkie-talkie. So somewhere in the midst of, you know, about ankle-high leaves, there sits a black walkie-talkie, which is not easy to spot. So I um, took him back up to the house, and I went back down and started to look for the walkie-talkie and couldn't find it anywhere. And I'm actually pretty good at that. I used to do a lot of hunting, so I kind of know how to trace around things. And I couldn't find it anywhere. But I had to smile. Because what I was thinking about is God, somewhere in the midst of this mass of leaves, lays a walkie-talkie, and you know exactly where it's at. God knew exactly where that walkie-talkie was at. And here I was out looking for it, and God... God knew right where that thing was at. And so I was praying. I was thinking about, I was thinking about this, this Bible story here. And I was praying. I was like, God, you know, this would be a really good thing if I could find this and show Charlie. Char both Charlie and I could see that God sees. And he cares. He sees everything. And he cares about things like lost walkie-talkies. Well, I didn't find it. And so I went back and told him, Dad failed. Couldn't find the walkie-talkie. So we went on. Well, today, right before the meeting, Charlie was out with his mom and sister Bethan, and they walked into the woods, and he ran smack into that walkie-talkie. <laughs> now, what is that? What is that? That is a token from God that God sees. And see, you're going to have things like that in your life, too, where there's going to be things, there's going to be something lost, and you just think it's impossible. And then all of a sudden it's going to pop up. And when it does, you need to think about this Bible text here. And you need to think about God sees me and God cares about me. So when these little wonderful things happen in life, it's not just like, oh, this, this just happened. No, that's a token from God towards you to tell you that he sees and cares about your life. So we're going to look at this Bible story tonight. And what we're going to see is, is that when you don't believe that, it causes you to do the wrong thing every time. Every time. So we'll walk through this story. We're going to look at it at a very high level, and we're unfortunately going to have to leave a lot of stones unturned. Basically, what I want to do is just try and get what's the main point of this passage. What's, what's the Bible trying to tell us with the story of Sarah and Hagar? What are we supposed to come away with from that? The context back in Genesis 15, God made a covenant, or he renewed the covenant. 
And in Genesis 17, God's renewing the covenant. And basically in both of these places, God is telling Abraham everything that he's going to do for him and everything that he's going to do through him. It's all about this promise. When you're reading the book of Genesis, the thought, especially when you get to chapter 12 all the way to 50, the big thought that needs to be in your mind is this is what it looks like when a life is based off of promise. Now, when you get over into Exodus and Leviticus and Deuteronomy and Joshua and so on, then you're seeing a lot of what it looks like when your life is based off of law. But over here, there's promise. There's promise. And all these patriarchs, Abraham, Jacob, these different ones, their life is based off of a promise of God that he is going to bless them. He's going to bless them. And that's what happens. But here in, uh, here in chapter 16, we have a mess. Uh, this story is just a mess, and there are no heroes in this story save God alone. God alone. So let's read this story. Genesis 16, 1. Now Sarai, Abraham's wife, had borne him no children. And she had an Egyptian maid whose name was Hagar. So Sarah said to Abram, Now behold, the Lord has prevented me from bearing children. Please go into my maid. Perhaps I will obtain children through her. And Abram listened to the voice of Sarah. After Abram had lived ten years in the land of Canaan, Abram's wife Sarah took Hagar the Egyptian, her maid, and gave her to her husband Abram as his wife. Here's point number one. When God doesn't seem to be doing anything, the temptation is to try something. Try something. Now, I want you to think about this. They had been in the land for ten years. Now, that's a long time. I mean, especially when you're talking about this promise that had been made. God promised Abraham that he's going to have this offspring. He's going to have a son but they had waited year after year after year and nothing seemed to be happening. It seemed like this promise is, is starting to grow cold. And many years later, Abraham still has no child and it seems like God's not doing anything. So Abraham and Hagar, I mean Abraham and Sarah, thought that they would try something. God doesn't seem to be working out. Why don't we try something else? Um, you see the same thing happen with the children of Israel related to the golden calf. In Exodus 32, it says this. It says, Now when the people saw that Moses delayed to come down from the mountain, the people assembled about Aaron and said to him, Come make us a God who will go before us. As for this Moses, the man who brought us up out of the land of Egypt, we don't know what has become of him. You hear what they're saying? They're saying, we, this guy Moses, he's a great leader and all, and he has tremendous abilities, but we don't know where he's at. He's delaying long. It seems like something has held him up, so we've got to take matters into our own hand. We've got to try something here to get out of this thing. And so that's what they did. The point is clear. You think you need something to happen that God doesn't seem to be working on, so the thought comes in your mind, I better get to business on this. You haven't met someone you think you need to meet. You haven't gotten someplace you think you need to be. Or you haven't received something you think you need to have. So it's time to start trying something. You know, after I became a Christian, I had a very strong desire to do um, 
missions work overseas to go preach the gospel overseas and things like that. And I took a few short-term trips and went to actually went to Romania a couple of times. And on those trips to Romania, seeing all the need over there and things like that of people that needed the gospel, I you know, felt a burden more and more. I want to do this. I want to go overseas. And so I prayed and prayed. And when I say I prayed, I didn't pray for a week or a month. I prayed for a very, very long time every day. And I don't know if you've ever prayed for something for a long time, but you reach a point to where if you're not careful, you start getting disillusioned in it. It's like, why isn't God answering? You know, it seems like it just seems like that the Lord has lost interest in this thing that you're praying for. And so, after a while, after praying and praying, I thought, well, maybe I can make some phone calls. So I did, and pretty soon I had myself a missions trip. And let me tell you this, when that plane touched down in, the, in that foreign country and my feet hit the ground, I had the distinct, God very distinctly said, I did not send you here. I did not send you here. And I will tell you, that was the most miserable trip I have ever been on in my life. I had this desire. It was a good desire. And I'm praying, Lord, open the door. I know enough to know you open doors. And I don't want to go through doors that you don't open. But somewhere along the way, you start to lose sense of that. You start to lose sense that God is in control, that you actually do have a good shepherd who sees everything about you. He's not forgotten you. That starts to grow cold, and so you start trying something. And I did, and it didn't work out. But this doesn't just apply to big life-type decision. It also applies to things, you know, every day. Things like marriage. You know, a wife's reading along there in Ephesians, and she learns I'm supposed to submit to my husband. And so she does submit to him for a while. But then there are still aspects in his life that she doesn't think is quite right. And so the temptation is to start trying something. This is God's way. I've been doing this for a while, but it doesn't seem to work out. And so she withdraws, or she gets argumentative, or she just starts doing little things here and there because God's way is not quite working out. The same thing happens to husbands. You re read along there in the Bible, you learn, I am to sacrificially love my wife just like Christ loves the church. And so you do for a while. And then there are little areas in her life where it seems like no matter how much you sacrifice, there are still these little pockets that you just don't think are right. And so the temptation is to start trying something. You start trying other things. You, you start withdrawing from the relationship or you withhold some of your affection. Or whatever you do, it's just not the way that God has told you to go in and go out on the matter. The temptation is when things don't seem to be working as you think they should. The temptation is to get in there and to try something different. In short, this is simply any situation where God in His ways doesn't seem to be working out. And so you try something. And that's what happened with Sarah and Abraham. We go on. Verse 4, he went into Hagar and she conceived. And when she saw that she had conceived, her mistress was, was despised in her sight. 
And Sarah said to Abram, May the wrong done me be upon you. I gave my maid into your arms, but when she saw that she conceived, I was despised in her sight. May the Lord judge between you and me. It's quite the response. I mean, if you've read earlier and see that it was her idea. Now, there is, I mean, everybody in this story is as guilty as the day is long. But you can also see, you see the parallels between Adam and Eve here, don't you? A passive husband, a woman that jumps out there and does something, and when bad things start happening, fingers point in all the other directions. Well, Hagar, uh, Sarah learned something very important, and this is point two. No one ever gets a good deal by doing something apart from God. It never works out. Never works out. The great problem with these types of plans is that they tend to work. They tend to work. As one brother said, in everything man does without God, he must fail miserably or succeed even more miserably. Isn't that it? Isn't that it? Sarah, I learned the same lesson that Eve learned in the garden. Sin promises more than it can deliver. This fruit looks so good. It looks so desirable. I mean, the thought to have knowledge of good and evil, it seems like God is holding something back. And day after day after day, they don't have this knowledge. And then the slanderer gets in there and starts pointing this thing out. You know, it looks like God is holding back on you. Yeah, you've got all these other things, but why is God not giving you this one thing that you really want? And so, she takes out her her hand, she takes the fruit, and it works. It works. She gets the knowledge of good and evil, but it's a disaster. Nothing you do apart from God will ever succeed in the truest sense of the word. It may work, but in the end, it is going to bring bitterness to your soul. So whatever that may be in your life, the best thing to do is to stop it now. It will only get worse. This is the history of the world condensed in a story. Man is constantly trying to find his way apart from God. There's this disillusionment. There's this thought that it's going to be the next thing. If I can just get this one more thing, that's what's kind of finally fix all my problems. But everything is apart from God. Nothing is in reference to God. Nothing is done for the glory of God. And because what God has said in His Word. And so it's doomed to fail. There is no ultimate happiness. There is no ultimate satisfaction. In the end, it is simply going to bring bitterness to your soul. Sarah thought this would work. And it did. But it was just the opposite result that she thought it would be. She's miserable. She's utterly miserable, and now this thing is a monster in her life. The only freedom not trusting God brings is the freedom to carry the weight of the world. That's all you get when you don't trust God. Let's read on. Verse 6, But Abram said to Sarah, Behold, your maid is in your power. Do with her what is good in your sight. So Sarah treated her harshly. And she fled from her presence. So this story is just a mess. Like I said before, it's just a mess. Um, Sarai sinned in presumption on God and not waiting on the Lord. Not waiting on the Lord would be a better way to say that. Abraham, Abram sinned in, in basically not stopping his wife 
from not waiting on the Lord. Hagar has gotten proud now that she's conceived. And this whole thing is just a mess. But God is going to break in here. And aren't you thankful that God breaks into the history of needy people? Aren't you thankful that the Bible is not just a book about a bunch of people who had it all together? And that's the type of people that God blesses and that's the type of people that God meets? The Bible is about needy people with great problems in their life and then God shows up and saves the day. So Hagar, whose name means flight, she's doing exactly what her name means. Her name means flight. She starts running away and in running away she runs straight into the Lord. Straight into the Lord. Listen to this in verse 7. Now the angel of the Lord found her by a spring of water in the wilderness, by the spring on the way to Shur. Now just as a side note, when you read over in Genesis twenty-five eighteen, you learn that Shur is on the way to Egypt. She's going back to Egypt. That was the last thing that worked, and that's what she's going to do. She's all heading back to Egypt. He said, Hagar, Sarai's maid, where have you come from, and where are you going? And she said, I am fleeing from the presence of my mistress Sarai. Then the angel of the Lord said to her, Return to your mistress and submit yourself to her authority. Moreover, the angel of the Lord said to her, I will greatly multiply your descendants so that they will be too many to count. The angel of the Lord said to her further, Behold, you are with child and you will bear a son and you shall call his name Ishmael, which literally means God hears. Because the Lord has given heed to your affliction. He will be a wild donkey of a man. His hand will be against everyone and everyone's hand against him. And he will live to the east of all his brothers. Then she called the name of the Lord who spoke to her. You are a God who sees. For, she said, have I even remained alive here after seeing him? Therefore, the well was called Bir Laharoi. Literally, the well of the living one who sees me. Behold, it is between Kadesh and Bered. Hagar was dumbfounded by the fact that God saw her. God saw her. And when we talk about God seeing her, we don't mean, again, like I said in the beginning, it's not just this fact that God noticed her, that God knew who she was. It's this fact that he knew who she was and he cared. He cared. He breaks in on her life and he cares. Now you've got to realize that Hagar grew up with the gods of Egypt who care very little about you know, people's personal affairs and people's problems. Those gods didn't care about anything. No doubt Hagar had heard about Yahweh through Abram and Sarai, but I'm sure she thought as an Egyptian maid that God had no personal interest in her. But then God broke into history and saw her. And what shocks her, again, is not just this amazing pronouncement. I mean, this is pretty incredible. God says that your descendants are going to be more numerous than the sands on the seashore. Nobody's going to be able to count them. But that's not what shocks her. What shocks her is that God sees me. God sees me. Do you remember what it was like before you were a Christian? And I know some of you were converted when you were young, and for some of you... It was longer ago. 
And you may have forgotten some of what was going on around that time, but your theology, you have enough theology from the Bible to tell you what you should have been feeling. That sense that, that your crimes against God are enormous. I remember that. I remember laying on my bed. I've told you my testimony of crying myself to sleep for, two, for almost two years straight with a sense that the wrath of God is on me. I need to be right with God. I'm not right with God. But the problem was, is I loved my sin. And isn't it such a strange thing? Some of you know what I'm talking about. It's such a strange thing to know that you should repent of your sins. To know that true life is only found in Christ. And yet you're a slave. You're a slave. You just won't let go of your sins. And I remember that feeling. I remember that seeking feeling. Thinking, I am trapped. And it's my fault. I mean, even the fact that I'm trapped is my fault and it makes me more guilty because I am so evil and so wicked that I will not let go of my sins. And I remember the hopelessness, just the sheer hopelessness that comes in that situation where you just have this, it's like nothing good can happen that can take away this darkness. It's like this cloud over you. And then I remember the moment when God broke into history. And I remember having this thought. He sees me. He sees me. My crimes against him notwithstanding, he sees me. And if you will come to him, he'll put those crimes away. He will take all of your condemnation. But the point is this. He sees me. He sees me. Remember back to your testimony. Does let that affect Does that still affect you? Does it still affect you that you are blundering along in this world under the wrath of God and the God of heaven saw you and broke into your life? When is the last time that your heart was overtaken with the thought that God sees me? When's the last time? One brother said this, he said, he's talking about the difference between the religions of the world and the religions of of the Bible. He said, they see their gods, but their gods can't see them. We can't see our God, but he sees us. Which would you rather have? Would you rather go on your own with all of these idols that you can see? Got your hands around them. I'm in control of this thing. Or would you, would you rather live your life by faith in the God who sees you and ha- can actually do something about things? When was the last time that that thought gripped you? Here's a taste of what it sounds like. I'm just going to read you a little portion here of Psalm 139. And this is not just theoretical. I mean, I, you know, it was a very busy week. It was a very trying week for me. And I was thinking about this text and thinking about this message. And I, at work, I just took a minute or so and sat down and read this psalm to myself. And let it, let it just wipe away all the unbelief. And after I got done reading that psalm, I said in my heart, that's what's true. Life's busy. Life's crazy. Trials abound. You know, you feel like I don't have the strength to do all of these things. Notwithstanding, I've got a shepherd. I've got a father. And he sees me. Listen to this. This is from the ESV. O Lord, 
You have searched me and known me. You know when I sit down and when I rise up. You discern my thoughts from afar. You search out my path and my lying down are acquainted and are acquainted with all my ways. Even before a word is on my tongue, behold, O Lord, you know it all together. You hem me in behind and before and you lay your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is high. I cannot attain it. Where shall I go from your spirit? Or where shall I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol, you are there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your right hand shall lead me and your right hand shall take hold of me. If I say, surely darkness shall cover me and the light about me be night, even the darkness is not dark to you. The night is as bright as day, for darkness is as light to you. That helps me. Because there's a lot of times you're in darkness. You're in dark, and you feel the darkness. But you go back to Psalm 139, darkness is not dark to you, Lord. I can't see, but you see me. Verse 17, how precious are your thoughts, O God. How vast the sum of them. He's talking about God's thoughts towards him. If I would count them, they are more than the sand. You think God's forgotten? You just go start counting the sand. And when you wear yourself out, his thoughts about you are even more. He says, then he says this, I love this. I awake and I am still with you. After the psalm is said and done, the music's over and everyone has left the building. You're still with me. No matter what. Why? Because God sent His Son to put away your sins. And you are in a relate. You have finally entered into a relationship with God Almighty that is as secure as the Son of God Himself. And He sees you. Listen to this verse. this This is one of my favorite verses. Isaiah 49 13 through 16, shout for joy, O heavens, and rejoice, O earth. Break forth in joyful shouting, O mountains, for the Lord has comforted his people and will have compassion on his afflicted. But Zion said, the Lord has forsaken me and the Lord has forgotten me. Have you ever felt forgotten by the Lord? Have you ever felt you're just kind of going on in life And things just aren't happening you think need to be happening. And all these temptations are starting to come to start trying things. To start getting out there on a limb to see if you can make something work. Have you ever felt forgotten by the Lord? This is God's word to you. Can a woman forget her nursing child and have no compassion on the son of her womb? Even these may forget, but I will not forget you. Behold, I have inscribed you on the palm of my hands. Your walls are continually before me. One last one. Listen to the Lord Jesus Christ. Are not two sparrows sold for a cent? And yet not one of them will fall to the ground apart from your father. What is he saying? He's saying there's a God in heaven who sees. And he's your father. 
but the very hairs of your head are all numbered. So do not fear, you are more valuable than many sparrows. That's amazing, because that says a couple of things. One, there's a God who sees. Number two, that God who sees is your Father. And number three, you have value to Him. That's what the Bible is saying, that you matter to God. You have value. So in closing, you have got to nail down, you've got to nail this down in your life. You have got to decide whether there is a God in heaven who is your Father who sees. Because if He doesn't, you better get busy trying to make things work. If God doesn't see, and all, you know, if this is not true, you better get busy with your life trying to make things work. Or you can take the path, the path of truth, and base your conviction on the Word of God and take a stand that there is a God in heaven who sees, and He's your Father. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. No good thing does He withhold who walks uprightly. Nail it down. There is a God in heaven who sees. And that God is your Father. Here is how I would summarize this final point. You don't need to do your own thing when you know the God who sees. That's it in a nutshell. That's, what this, that's the basic point of this story on one level. You don't have to go do your own thing when, when you know the God who sees. Verse 15, so Hagar bore Abram a son, and Abram called the name of his son whom Hagar bore Ishmael. Abraham was 86 years old when Hagar bore Ishmael to him. So Hagar went back into this difficult situation, believing what Sarah had forgotten. God sees. And because he sees me, I can endure anything. I can go through anything because I know Without a doubt, he sees. He sees. Well, let's pray. Father, I pray you'd make this real to us, Lord. You'd seal it to our hearts. Help us, help us to walk in light of this, Lord. Help us to live our lives, Lord, in our marriages, in our parenting, and at the workplace in light of the God who sees. Amen.